Hello and welcome to Waiting at Winterfell for Anything Interesting to Happen. I'm your host, Jackson Eflin. And I'm your co-host, Alex Rayhawk. I shouldn't be so mean. It's not that nothing interesting happened in this episode, but if you're looking at it from a plot perspective, it's mostly just people sitting in rooms talking, and I'm realizing now that's basically all that ever happened in Game of Thrones, but it was the same four rooms in this one. We didn't head to the south at all. Everything happened at Winterfell. Mm-hmm. The furthest we got from Winterfell was some scenes happening in the grounds outside of Winterfell. And by some I mean two, one of which was a montage. This show had a montage. That's how dire things are getting. Before we go any further, just another reminder, if you don't want spoilers for episode two of season eight of Game of Thrones, don't listen and assume any triggers that are appropriate for the show are going to be appropriate here. Mm -hmm. Let's start with, what was your favorite scathing remark directed at Jamie Lannister in this episode? (laughs) (laughs) It has to be Bran throwing his words back at him without anyone realizing what he's actually doing. Yeah, so I didn't realize that no one there knew that Jamie had pushed Bran out the window. I assume that was like a thing that was established seasons ago. I applaud Bran's pragmatism in just being like, it will not help us if they murder you before we stop the army of the dead and I'm gonna hang on to this one. If only other members of his family have the same pragmatism. I understand why Sansa doesn't. <laughs> oh, I was talking about John. <laughs> Also, Brienne had no lines last episode, but I'm glad they're just saving all the Brienne energy for this one. Brienne had so much going on here, from her defending Jamie at the tribunal, their conversation at the battlements outside Winterfell later on, her getting knighted. Her getting knighted! Ah! We paused to talk about whether Sansa trusted Brienne or her family more, and then five minutes later, the episode just had Sansa saying, I trust Brienne more than anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sansa, for clearing that up. I love the scene near the fireplace where uh, Brienne and Padra come in just to kill time until they have to go fight undead. Tyrion offers both of them wine, and she's like, no, Podrick is totally down for accepting, but Brienne's like, I don't think that's a good idea. We could fight at any moment. <laughs> and then we cut to Tyrion overfilling Podrick's glass. And it was that moment I realized that Tyrion and Brienne kind of had joint custody of Podrick. <laughs> I mean, basically. It's not the most weird surrogate parent relationship in this show. It also led to like a really interesting discussion of Brienne and the surrogate motherhood towards Podrick. Right. I mean, it's a pretty common thing that a warrior young character will have a warrior older character serves as their surrogate father. We almost never see that with a surrogate mother figure who is still in that warrior capacity. Mm-hmm. And when we do get surrogate mother figures, it's very often in a negative context. It's very often toxic or infantilizing, mm-hmm. none of which is the case here. It also kind of leads up to one of the best moments of the episode, the knighting of Brienne, and Podrick kind of silently goading her, like, yes, you should do this, you deserve it. And I think part of that is because Podrick is not a full knight at the moment, he's still a squire, and I think he knows that if he were to be knighted, he would want Brienne to be the one to do it, and she can't do it unless she is a knight. Mm Mm-hmm. It's been a long road for Jamie to get his honor back, and so for him to be the one to do that knighting, for her, him to bestow that honor upon her is really significant, especially when she's technically his commander at that point. There is a lot going on with the love triangle around Brienne, with her and Jamie and Tormund. 
And I've seen a lot of commentary about how the Torin Brienne ship is not actually all that great. And I understand where people on both sides of that are coming from. I come down more on the it's maybe not great side of things, but I understand why there is that affection there, if only because Tormund is a really fun character apart from some of the stuff. Yeah. Tormund and his pursuing of Brienne. I want to, like, root for that. I totally understand that looking at it from Brienne's perspective, she has to deal with this person who she wants nothing to do with and to keep trying to rebuff him. And I understand that that is a very frequent occurrence for women all the time. But I also understand it from Torrance's perspective. This woman rejected me and my advances, but those feelings don't just go away. I'm really of two minds about that entire ship, and it's so difficult because Tormund is so fun as a character. I think part of it is that Tormund is all of us when he's just, like, showing open and unabashed affection for Brienne 110%, because Brienne's great. I love Brienne. Yeah. I understand the idea of, like, living vicariously through someone who's just been like, no, you're awesome. We should go out to drinks and all that jazz. Yeah, especially when you're juxtaposing that very open and honest affection that Tormund shows Brienne with all the clandestine stares and subtleties between Jamie and Brienne. Yeah, the Jane Austen novel. <laughs> I think really what a lot of it comes down to is how you prefer those sorts of dynamic, whether you want that really open and passionate or whether you want this to be like subdued and very slow burn. Right. However, that is not the worst ship in this episode. <laughs> Yeah. I really hope it's not going to be a thing. I really hope not either. So for those of you who don't immediately know what we're talking about, Theon gets to Winterfell this episode, and there are some things between him and Sansa, some very knowing looks, and we see them like right before the battle, dining together outside, and it is the weirdest ship, and I really hope Theon dies before anything can come of it. I get it. They were both subject to intense violence of a sexual nature by the same person, and so I can see how that would be a connection they would have, but that is not a loving relationship make that a sibling bond makes. And there's also the complications of him being raised in the same household as her. Them being functionally siblings? Yeah. He was, for the longest time, Rob's best friend. Yeah. It's not as weird as the Johnson shippers, but I'm also thinking that John just shouldn't, just shouldn't. Have no spouses, have no children, John. You made an oath. John had a true love. She died south of the wall, and John uh, brought her north. And that, that really should have been the end of it. Mm-hmm. And let's also, though, just while we're in this area, talk about John telling Danny about the thing. As soon as I saw Danny in the catacombs, I'm like, oh, here it is. Here's where it's going to happen. Danny walked down into the teal crypts of a comfortable genealogy and. <laughs> Luckily, the army of the dead showed up to prevent the awkwardness of Danny realizing someone has a better claim to the Iron Throne than she does, and is also someone who she's been boinking. John is a perfectly lovely guy who deserves all kinds of love and romance in general, just not from this particular person that's who happens to be his aunt. Anyway, lots of incest and crypts. The show. I think there's only one ship that we have not talked about. We're kind of just co-opting Sarah Hollowell's job at this point. Uh, link in the description. To be fair, like you said, it was mostly people talking in rooms. Yeah, so a lot of shipping dynamics happening we'll here. We'll get into the politics after this. This is the more fun part. <laughs> yeah, we must get to, of course, the best and last ships, John and Tormund. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look at the way to look at each other. That's, 
<laughs> That's how you look at people you're in love with who you thought were dead. I would know. I've watched a lot of gay dramas. <laughs> so, Arya and... Gendry. Uh, yes, Arya and Chris from Skins. <sighs> the only thing I don't like about this ship is that Arya is now a like teenager, maybe like early 20s, whereas Chris from Skins was playing Chris from Skins, a teenage character, 10 years ago on Skins. So the age dynamic feels a little bit weird, but then I also think of Arya as a child because I saw her as a child when she was a child nine years ago, and I cannot perceive time. Maisie Williams has also not gained much height from then, so that does not help. No. But if Arya were to end up with anyone, Gendry makes the most sense. Oh, for sure. It is a very good ship, and I appreciate that the thing to rekindle that interest is Gendry talking back to her. (laughs) Gendry does not realize everything that Arya's done and how skilled she is. He just immediately goes back to that dynamic when they were both on their way to Castle Black. When she was plucky and that's about all. I'm sorry, plucky and traumatized. Yeah. She's a Stark. I also really like that it's Arya who initiates all of this. Mm Mm-hmm. Arya knows that she might die in this battle, wants to experience what sex is like, and the person she trusts most is Gendry. Mm-hmm. But also, glad they've been building up to this for the last two episodes. Like, it wasn't just out of nowhere. We got several scenes with them to remember, oh yeah, they have a great friendship. Mm-hmm. Also, Arya now knows that he's the last Baratheon. Yep. Also, he made her a weapon. Yeah. That's how you show love <laughs> to an Arya Stark. And it's this cool, like, double-bladed spear thing. It feels very bravosi, which fits. Yeah. I think we've covered all the romantic subplots. Oh, of this. um, Zante and Grey Worm. It's rather small, but it's very solid. It's pretty much the two of them talking about, yeah, after this war with the Night King's over, and after Danny's on the throne, I'm getting out of here. I want nothing to do with this white nonsense. <laughs> and I can't blame them. Yeah. And unfortunately highlights how very few people of color there are in this show. Um, well, I mean, at least in this point in the narrative, while we had anything going on in SS, we were dealing with people of color. We also haven't really seen much of the Dothraki since they've gotten to Winterfell either. All of the Unsullied also keep their helmets on all the time, except for Grey Worm, so that doesn't help. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it's also kind of baked into a show where you have, like, several dynasties that are all white. Yeah, and unfortunately, they couldn't get anyone to care about the Dorne subplots. No. Italy, the door subplots were bad. Yeah, like, after Oberon died, I didn't care. Oberon was the best. Oberon was really good. Mmm, that fight. So, we're having a battle next episode, I assume. They seem to be foreshadowing that slightly. Um, <laughs> um, you mean the entire episode that was building tension for the upcoming battle that ended with the horn call and the lineup of all of the White Walkers ready to assault Winterfell. Yeah, it's pretty subtle. But if you're watching and paying attention, you pick up on it. Anyway, the battle is going to be fun. But also, I think the show is strongest in its single combats with characters we care a lot about. And that is going to be different from this battle against endless CGI monsters. Well, probably a lot of practical effects too. Whatever. Like the fight between Bran and the Hound, or the fight between the Mountain and Oberon, which are amazing standout fights that we're not going to have quite the same thing here. Mm-hmm. So while it's not, well, the battle won't be bad, I assume. It's probably going to be horrible. I'm going to be so sad for many characters. I'm sad that it's not going to be more just like a, a tournament arc over the course of one episode. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be very interesting because with the exception of the Night King, there are no named characters on the other side of the battle. It's just kind of this unstoppable force of the undead versus so many characters that we've come to know and love and or hate. Mm-hmm. There might be a few named characters on the Night King side, but not quite as they were before. 
Yeah, I think at that point you're splitting hairs, but right. fair enough. But I think it will be a waste of the setup of the show if at least one character doesn't fight a dead version of someone they care about. Like if Sam has to fight Undead Pip or whatever. And while we're here, can we talk about how the Night King is 100% going to raise all the dead of the Winterfell crypts and just be a lot of women and children down there with a bunch of zombies? The crypts are featuring very prominently in these episodes. We've had two major sequences in there, and they also specifically show them during the new Game of Thrones intro. Mm-hmm. In fact, both locations besides the wall that they show, Winterfell and King's Landing, we see the subterranean parts of them, which is not something we've ever seen before in the intro. Mm-hmm. For Winterfell, it's the Stark catacombs, and for King's Landing, it's where they keep all of the Targaryen dragon skulls. Which makes me think that the Night King's gonna win and raise those dragon skulls as a zombie army, which... Is ridiculous because that means the Night King's going to win and all the characters we love are going to die, which can't be right. Yeah, It may also have less to do with raising of the dead and bringing back ghosts and histories. Mm, sure. Because so far that's kind of what the crypts have been associated with, but a lot is going to come down to what happens next episode and who wins that battle. Or Kyber's going to make a Dracolich. <laughs> God fucking damn it, Kyber. <laughs> you have to admit it'd be kind of cool. It'd be a reason for Kyber to still exist at this point, yeah. Anyway, that's not important right now. That's future speculation. Let's talk about Lyanna Mormons utterly refusing to let her uncle tell her she's not fighting in the battle. <laughs> I fucking love Lyanna Mormont. She is great, and she just keeps telling everyone, no, I'm doing what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. There's a great interview where she says that her saddest part of the show ending is that she doesn't get to just tell off men her twice her age all the time anymore, and I sympathize with that a lot. That also makes me think that Lyanna Mormont's going to die in this episode. That will be a sad thing, but I can see that happening. It will be terrible. (laughs) But I think it will be earned and also will be reasonably satisfying for her to die in combat. While I don't want to lose her, I think that would be not unsatisfying as a narrative thing. Yes. It also is going to lead to complications if she dies and Jorah makes it out of the battle. Mm -hmm. I can see it being a thing that he's reinstated as a proper Mormon continues his house and all that jazz. That seems like it would be a reasonable end for his arc, I guess. We, we talked about redemption arcs a little bit last episode with them setting up Theon for one, and they further that this episode. There's actually a, a few characters who get redemptions arcs, either setting them up or kind of a culmination of them this episode. And Jorah's kind of the one that has started kind of the earliest and has been this slow burn. Unfortunately, he's not been that compelling of a character. But I did think the scene between him and Sam and Sam wanting to gift his family sword to him, specifically in memory of Jorah's father, who was the Lord Commander of Castle Black. Yeah, that was a really good scene. I'm not super invested in Jorah as a character, but I... Appreciate the, the narrative that's being built around him. Jorah is not very compelling as a character in and of himself, but Jorah is compelling in all of the connections that he has elsewhere. Mm. Backtracking slightly, but speaking of women fighting, let's talk about the scene with Davos and Gilly and the little girl who wants to fight. Oh, having Davos and Gilly in the same scene was such brilliant writing. They have two of the biggest hearts in the cast at this point, and it was just so wonderful seeing them talk this little girl out of fighting on the front lines, but doing so in a way that doesn't take away her agency. 
Mm-hmm. It would have been really easy for them to say, no, no, little child, you are a child, you should not fight. But the pivoting to, you need to defend the Crypts of Winterfell is still more or less I'm saying, no, you're not going to fight because you're a kid. But in a way that, like you said, gives her her agency and lets her still be part of that and doesn't dash her dreams. And if she makes it out, she's 100% going to be the next Brienne, the Brienne of her generation. And that's going to be so cool. Mm. Also, if the dead of Winterfell's crypts do rise, she's going to be killing some of them, and it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. That seems also part of the thing that I've been impressed with them doing, where Winterfell feels full. There's always something going on. Soldiers marching in their formation, or people carrying bits of wood to make a thing, mm. or people dispensing soup and whatnot. They spent their budget on some extras, and I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank you for making this town feel full, even with all these scenes of people in rooms. Yeah. It even leads to some really interesting background things. Like, you picked up on the Aaron Shields in the background. We haven't seen anything from those soldiers or Robin, Aaron from the Vale. But presumably they're still around and still part of the fight, which, yeah, Yeah. good. You know, someone we haven't talked about at all yet, and I'm actually surprised about, is Tyrion. I was just thinking that. (laughs) So much is going on with Tyrion. Jorah is able to talk Danny into forgiving Tyrion for not reading Cersei correctly and getting tricked by her. Mm -hmm. Looking to the great bit where Danny's talking about how Tyrion trusted Cersei when he shouldn't have, and then Sansa's like, so did you. <laughs> Were there not other things going on, I'd be intrigued by the whole thing with Danny not trusting Tyrion as her hand anymore. It feels like this is maybe not the biggest issue just right now for Danny mm-hmm. to be focusing on, but Danny is nothing if not long-term focused, and... Her main goal right now is not the Night King. It is, this is an obstacle in my way of the Iron Throne. I need the North to help me win. <laughs> This season, they're really showing how off Danny's priorities are. There's this comment that Tyrion makes about Danny being different than the other Targaryens. I honestly don't think that's the case anymore. Sure, when she started off as, you know, the breaker of chains and doing all of this good in Essos, sure, she had good intentions, but again, her sole goal has always been the Iron Throne. And she may have good intentions, but. As the saying goes, the road to hell is paved in those. Mm-hmm. I know you want to talk about Terry, but we kind of pivoted to talking about Danny. Whoopsies. Yeah. But like 8,000 seasons ago, someone said of Cersei that she would burn the whole place down if she could be Queen of the Ashes. And there's a part of me that almost feels like Danny's the same at this point. Mm-hmm. Tyrion also has a really great bit where everyone has this refrain this episode where they're like, we're probably going to die tomorrow. And then Tyrion's like, I think we'll live. And people are like, ha, ridiculous. Like, no, 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 I think I think we will. Come on, look, look at all our plot armor. Yeah, and like they start mentioning all the battles they survived. Like Sir Davos, who has no combat experience whatsoever, survived both the Battle of Blackwater and the Battle of the Bastards. Mm-hmm. Jamie, who's survived the Siege of Pike and technically the Battle of the Whispering Woods. There's Brienne, Podrick, Tormund, who was at the Battle of the Wall on the losing side. <laughs> I like how hopeful Tyrion is. That hopefulness and him being solidified as Danny still trusts him as hand makes me hopeful that if Danny does somehow wind up on the Iron Throne at the end of all this, that Tyrion will be a good, healthy advisor for her and be able to temper some of her lust for power. Mm-hmm. It also means that we know that Tyrion and Danny are safe for this next episode because they wouldn't put all that time into that plot for it to be a thing that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I also really like some of the conversations that Tyrion had this episode, like his talk with Bran, she's like, I want to know what happened to you. The last time we talked, I was talking to you about how to be disabled. <laughs> and that was 
eight seasons ago. It is 100% part of Tyrion's character that we don't really see a lot of that he's super into, like, the weird stuff. Mm -hmm. Dragons, magic, all that jazz. And Bran is a three-eyed raven now, so he has a lot to tell. Yeah. There's also all of Tyrion's interactions with Jaime this episode. Yeah. Where he tries to speak for him at the tribunal to try and get Danny to let him live because she's still pissed about Jamie killing her dad. That was before the show even started, Danny. Come on. How many people have you killed, Danny? How many people's fathers? All of the stuff with Jamie and Brienne this episode, where Jamie specifically asks to be a soldier underneath Brienne at the yes. battle. Yes. Jamie knighting Brienne later on. How it's not made explicit, but Jamie basically was saying, I rode north for you, Brienne. Tyrion also has a really good conversation with Jamie about how they've both changed so much and like Tyrion can't go back to being the way he was at the start of the show that's not in the cards anymore that's just not gonna happen I like that they go straight from Tyrion saying no my days of being a whoremonger are over to Podrick walking in and Tyrion filling his cup all the way that's a really good bit where it's not that Tyrion has lost hope it's just that he realizes that he's not that kind of person anymore but other people still deserve to have that opportunity to be. I think a lot of that has to do with the experiences he's had with women since then. Nah, that's true. There's also, he's changed, but that doesn't mean everything about him's changed. He still has this impish, snarky nature. Like, that's what we love about Tyrion. Oh, and also, just while we're here, Whoremonger is the show is the word the show uses not great but yeah. yeah I'm not expecting the show to suddenly devote an entire episode into the politics of sex workers and all that jazz there's also another line from Tyrion in this episode he is trying to get onto the front lines of the battle and everyone's like no you can't Tyrion and he's like there are men and women out there fighting and the inflection that Tyrion has because like come on I'm at least a man I should be out there fighting if there's women out there fighting and it's not the best best mm -hmm. but it is somewhat in character for him yeah yeah like, but on the flip side i do appreciate that the winterfell crypts are not just full of women and children it's just it's mostly kids and people who can't fight there are still women out there on the battlefield they've they've made that explicit mm -hmm. i mean admittedly that's partially because they have no one they need literally everybody who can lift a sword one more interesting line from Tyrion when he's talking with jamie and how we're going to die at Winterfell. I never saw that happening. And at least Cersei won't be able to murder me. And I just, I thought back to the bronze subplot they set up last episode. I'm like, ooh, but she might be able to. <laughs> yeah. It really just comes down to what Bronn wants to do. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, how, how this next episode goes. I don't yeah. think Bronn's going to like wade through an army of the dead to, to kill Tyrion. <laughs> he likes money. He doesn't like money that much. No. Oh, uh, speaking of battle predictions, um, Theon is going to be the one who defends Bran in the Godswood because the Night King is going to come from there, which mm. is a cool bit, and I'm excited for that redemption arc to be concluded with Theon fucking dying. Yes. Partially because it, it's really the most appropriate thing to happen, and B, because Sansa... Theon is a terrible ship. Yes, incredibly terrible. But once he's dead, she can be like, well, you still got a sister. In my notes, I just wrote down, this is a bad idea, and I couldn't remember why. I think that was about the, um, <laughs> the Theon Sansa thing, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I need to take better notes. I think we've hit, like, all of the major points of this episode. So, two things. Nobody died this episode, so our death counter has not gone up. Nope. <laughs> They're saving it. However, we did get a nude scene of Arya. That was... 
weird. Yeah, it was. There was no full frontal nudity, but there was an awful lot of skin. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, she's of age. It just feels weird because we think of her as our, as our sweet murder daughter. Well, like, like, I'm also just not sure how I feel about how that whole scene was shot in general. Mm, sure. It's a very weird angle that they shot her at. That angle makes sense for maximizing the amount of skin without showing a nipple, mm-hmm. but it's still an awkward angle. Yeah, and we saw significantly less of Gendry than we saw, saw of Arya, and in fact, significantly less of Gendry than we saw of Chris from Skins on Skins. So. <laughs> yeah. There is still, unfortunately, this double standard uh, between men and women for full frontal nudity, even mm-hmm. on HBO. Yeah. So I think last thing we should talk about is predictions for next episode. To be clear to our listeners, we record this without having watched the preview of next episode. Mostly so we focus on what's happened in the episode we just watched and not the teaser. Mm -hmm. I think Theon is at the top of the list for who I think is going to die. Oh yeah, Theon's turbo gone. (laughs) I anticipate that all of the Starks are going to make it through. Mm Mm-hmm. I think Danny and Tyrion are going to make it through. Yeah, they're fine. I'm not sure about Jamie. Well, no, I think Jamie's got to be around because there's still, like, Lannister stuff to clean up. And that's, I think, that's true. Yeah. Jamie's plot things that are satisfying in relation to characters up at Winterfell have been concluded at this point. But More... there's still the big question mark of Cersei. Yeah, and I think that he, he has to be alive for that. So Tyrion, Danny, and Jamie are turbo fine. Um, and I'm going to say that Sansa probably is too. I don't see any of the Starks going at this point. I could see maybe Bran, but I don't know. No idea with Bran. You have brought me around a bit on Bran as a character. But... Yeah, I have been a fan of Bran's character arc for much longer <laughs> than you have, which I get, I completely understand, but I am so glad that me standing for him these past seven seasons has finally paid off and everyone understands why I loved him. <laughs> yeah. I think specifically because of the speech that Sam had with murdering the history of humanity and going after Bran first, I think that he is going to survive because I anticipate them beating back the Night King at not necessarily winning completely, but like holding Winterfell. Sure. Even if they don't like fully end the whole like Night King problem, by the end of the season they will be victorious with that and there will be at least another thousand years before it becomes a problem again. Yeah. Sam? Most of Sam's plots have concluded, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, the only thing for him at this point is either becoming the head of House Tarly or being part of the changes at the Citadel after all of this is over. Mm -hmm. But it also makes a lot of sense for Sam to die here. Most of his immediate plots are concluded. It would be terribly sad for Gilly. With where we left things at this episode... Danny's pissed at Bran and Sam and to a certain extent John. I don't see her necessarily trying to murder John to secure her spot on the Iron Throne, but I can see her trying to make it so that she gets payback for having her status as first heir challenged and Sam seems like the easiest target. So I don't think Danny will like necessarily kill Sam, but if she has the opportunity to save him, I think she would ignore it. Yeah, I can see that. Tormund. Whether I think Tormund's going to make it out of this, completely realize on what I see happening between him and Brienne. <laughs> I am dead certain that Brienne Jamie's endgame. Yeah. I think Tormund makes sense to die here, but we were talking how 
like Tormund is kind of the hound dialed up to 11. Mm-hmm. And I see it much more likely that the hound dies here than Tormund. Oh, for sure. He was brought back for this battle. Yeah. So we know that it's either Lyanna or Sir Friendzone. Who do you think it's going to be? Because he has the Tarly's house sword now, that gives him some plot armor. Yeah, it does. And so, we haven't seen much of Liana Mormont this season, unfortunately. I'm so sad, but you're probably right. Beric Dondarrion. I definitely see Beric dying. He's already died so many times. Uh, Melisandre is not here to raise him again. Missandei mm. uh, and Grey Worm, do you think our two black characters are going to make it out? <sighs> I fucking hope so. Me too. I'm just going to draw a circle of plot armor around them. Of the two, I think Grey Worm is more likely to die. Oh, yeah. He's going to be like in the front lines. Yeah, but I hope they both survive, but I think it's a toss-up. Yeah. Uh, are we going to lose a dragon? They do have a frost drake. I think it makes sense for us to lose a dragon here. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense to lose a dragon to take the other dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dragon fight, dragon fight. That means that there's one dragon left to go after Cersei, and she has the ballista that's specifically designed to kill it, and I see the last dragon dying there. Yep, that makes sense. We've seen somewhere, I don't know if it's in like a preview or a vision or a prophecy or what, a dragon shadow over King's Landing. So I assume we're going to have at least one that makes it out. Yeah. Probably the Drogon, I think, is the main big one. Yeah, I think Drogon is going to be the last one standing. Now, I could also be wrong here, and we could see... Both of the remaining dragons fall to the Night King, and Ballista is going to get used against the undead dragons. Sure. Put some dragon glass on that thing. They probably should do that anyway, just be on the safe side. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Brienne. I want her to survive only because I want her and Jamie to have a happy ending, even though I know that Jamie's not going to get a happy ending. Honestly, I see Jamie is more likely to die than Brienne. Yeah. Most of her plots are concluded. She's... I mean, she hasn't knighted Podrick yet, but that's about the only thing. And I can see that happening during the battle. A la Pirates of the Caribbean 3, a marriage? <laughs> Pretty much. You're probably right, but I'm going to draw a circle of protective plot armor around her anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Little girl who's down in the crypts. I think we'll see her again. I have no idea whether she's going to survive or not. I am also not sure whether Sir Davos is going to survive. Oh, man, you're right. Like, he doesn't have a whole lot going on. We haven't seen much of him. He's kind of this in the gaggle of advisors that uh, Daenerys has, Mm -hmm. but he isn't very prominent amongst them. He doesn't offer a lot. Well, okay, the sole reason I can see for Sir Davos surviving this is to fight against Euron and the Iron Fleet later on. Oh, sure, sure, I can see that. So that, that is a... Big plus for him surviving, but I don't necessarily think that's going to be enough. I think it's probably, I'm going to say 60-40 and 60 is going to be him dying in this battle. Mm, Sure. Varys, probably going to survive. I don't think he would be in the fight. Yeah, he's probably going to be down in the crypts, and we haven't seen a whole lot of him this season so far. I don't know. I think that's a complete toss-up. Also, we're assuming that Varys is actually alive and not like a robot or something. Who knows with Varys? (laughs) Oh, uh, Gendry. Has he fulfilled his purpose? (sighs) So here's the thing. I think whether Gendry survives or not, that is also going to lead to whether House Baratheon survives or not. Because at this point, I can very much see that if he marries Arya, who is of noble heritage, he might be able to reclaim the Baratheon name and the Baratheon lands. 
Mm-hmm. Also, that that means she would theoretically be able to like move in with him, and he's on the sea, and we know that she wants to sail west anyway. So that would theoretically set her up to have that opportunity down the line in the future. That's a big ask of, do we think Arya is going to quote-unquote settle down? Oh, I don't think she's going to settle down. I could see her taking him as a husband so that people stop asking her. Like, having exactly 2.5 children, so, so it's like, I've done my duty, I'm out. I think with Gendry, I'm going to also do 60-40, but in the opposite direction. I think it's more likely that he st- stays alive than dies. Mm-hmm. They're also setting him up to be the one to figure out Valerian Steel, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Odds on Melisandre showing up at the battle to like do some fire magic at a particularly important point. How long has it been since we've seen her? I think she went back east. I don't know. I don't anticipate her showing up. There's been no indication. Right, although she did get a few mentions this episode, so... Yeah, I guess. And like there was the mentions of the Lord of Light. Who knows? If we do have some sort of like last minute save a la Battle of the Bastards, I can see it being her and some other Lord of Light worshippers. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, unlikely. A bunch of unicorn riders from Skagos. <laughs> I think that's pretty much everybody at this point. Yeah. Thankfully, Yara is on an island and therefore safe. Mm-hmm. Gonna just draw a protective circle around Yara anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are all the predictions that we have enough information to make. Oh, uh, the Night King. I'm not sure. I think at the very least that they're going to be able to defend Winterfell, but I'm not sure if they're going to defeat the Night King here. If they don't, that's still a lot to wrap up in the last three episodes of the series because they still have to deal with Cersei and all that. But I can also see the Night King like suffering the loss here and going south. Sure. I think that it's probably going to be concluded because if it is, then that will be... This episode and that one are going to be about two hours, which is a good movie length. Maybe not so much a prediction, but just as a request for the show, I'm ready for that to be done and concluded. That would be a very satisfying place to end it. That gives us four whole episodes to do, I guess, politics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What the show is founded on. On some level, it feels like there just hasn't been enough buildup for that to just be concluded here. And I think that's more so the issue with the storytelling of other seasons and the cutting short of the past couple of seasons. There just not being enough episodes. No matter what happens, I'm very excited for next episode. This is a very good buildup episode that didn't feel needless. It was a, there were a lot of good release of tension. A lot of things happened that I cared about. Yeah, they tied up a lot of small plot lines and that made it so that this wasn't just a complete episode just building up tension for 50 some minutes Mm -hmm. i think that concludes this episode of gratuitous thrones thank you all for listening and if you want to make sure to catch the next episode when it goes live make sure to follow us on facebook twitter podbean and spotify and before then we'll be releasing our adams family episode so look out for that this friday and I'm sure once again that Sarah Hollowell will have her Bang of Thrones article up on Frolic. If you didn't get enough of shipping this episode from us, that also lives. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. We hope you tune in next time.